You're listening to IDFS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Janak. Hey, everyone. Welcome to IDFS Radio, the podcast where we dive deep into the minds of entrepreneurs, as well as catch up with some of the IDFS competition winners and former contestants. Stick around to hear more about the 2016 IDFS Business Pitch Competition and how that helped our guests, Will and Becky, prepare to spread the word about their new business. Today, we have two great guests with us, Will and Becky Roberts of Stable Livestock Equipment. They're going to be talking with us about the evolution of stable livestock gates, updating us on their activities since IDFS 2015, and speaking to the role of agriculture in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, among many other things. All right, let's get right to it and learn more about stable livestock equipment. So thank you guys for coming out today. I appreciate you uh, giving us some of your snow day to, to ask you a few questions and learn a little bit more about your business. Today we have... Will and Becky Roberts with Stable Livestock Equipment, and they also have another business. It's about four years four years old. Becky, why don't you tell us a little bit about that business? Um, Will's probably a little bit better at explaining that business, but it's a custom livestock fencing business. Okay. Um, so Will builds um, livestock fence anywhere from fixed knot, woven wire fence to high tensile fence. Um, most anything in terms of livestock themselves. Um, trying to keep them contained or out of a waterway or um, some type of natural resource. All right. And it sounds like that business has led directly into what you guys are doing now. I guess we first, I say we as in the IDFest team, um, we first met you all about this time last year because you all were competing for the second annual IDFest, and that's when you guys we're going to be discussing the idea of stable livestock fencing, and that's what we're we're in your shop right now, in your new shop. And uh, so, tell us a little about your new business and kind of how long you guys have been doing that, and really update us on what's been going on since February of last year when we were first getting to know you guys. Uh, I guess this the update on what far as where we started to where we are now. We're probably still trying to, uh, I don't know if we'll ever achieve the goal of getting all of the uh, gates to different people for retail as far as trying to find dealers of that nature. Uh, we've custom fit several uh, English show barns, uh, some working facilities, working with uh, NC State and Virginia Tech, doing a few things. we got some panels in uh some feeder panels going in at NC State. Uh, a lot of the local bull barns. Uh, we mainly right now the gate supply out of here has been to support the fencing business. So in a nutshell, for this this plane here to get in the air good, I'd like to land a few dealers in the near future. Uh, the the gate business we. You know, I guess the 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 idea, the reason it was born was there was a lot of uh, fence being built by myself and a couple other people. Uh, we build seventy to eighty thousand feet a year, fairly easy, and we we try to get better every day of what we're doing. But nine out of ten of the complaints of what we're doing was the gates are cheap, the gates are horrible. 
you build a nice fence, but the gates is not what we need. So we bought gates from Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, partnered with people on loads out of Kentucky, and it was all the same thing. So what after, was the, what was the biggest complaint? Were the gates were they breaking? Were they were they allowing livestock to get out when they shouldn't have? What was the biggest issue uh, in terms of was it a quality, quality issue? Quality was probably the biggest thing. Uh, I don't know. It it's a lot of variables that goes into why a gate gets tore up or why it don't last like it should. So, but probably the biggest thing was a quality deal. Uh, there's a lot of gates available from especially coming out of Kentucky. There's a massive, massive load of gates being built in Kentucky, but it's more of a production facility instead of, uh, they're in the the quantity business instead of the quality business. So that's where I'm trying to get my foothold at. Okay, okay, that's because that's that's really what I'm driving at. I know you asked me about the, maybe the larger difference, where would we distinguish ourselves? Mm -hmm. So the process here is internal venting that I've never hung on any of my fencing jobs or never purchased an internal vented hot dipped gate. So the the galvanized process here runs internal and external of this gate. And I'll, Freddie will get that picture rolled up right there after we finish, I'll show you. But uh, all of the hot dip gates in the real world are external vented. So at every intersection, it has to be a vent. Outside, uprights. So then now it's wintertime and all the little wasps wants to stay warm, they go in them holes. Well, now Farmer Freddy comes back and undoes his chain on his gates in April to go in and cut his hay with a wasp busted back of his hand wide open. So that was out. Powder coating is way too expensive. Painting is way too cheap as far as the, last, the durability. So we went to hot dip gates. Well, we still have some on the back that's got the pink ribbon on them. That's so the guys don't take them. We didn't vent those gates, but we wanted them dipped. We didn't know. So I spent a full day at the galvanized plant sitting at a table with the guy just like we are on how I do internal venting. It's a little more time here, but it's a far better superior lifelong far as the gate in the farm and in the practical side of life. So it, I'm... I'm pretty sure that there's not an internal vented hot dip gate around. And what that basically means in terms of internally venting them and hot dipping them is basically you have galvanized inside and outside of the gate, which means you're protecting it from rust. It's not going to rust internally and it's not going to rust externally, um, which is huge when, I mean, they're out in the weather 24-7, you know. So that not only protects your outside, but also the interior part of your gate, which is a lot of times where your rusting is going to start. So we feel like we have a more longevity and more of a durable product because of the hot dip internal vent. And it ain't just the weather. I mean, they go to the bathroom on them and everything else. So. Protects against all the right. elements. Manure is high in acid. <laughs> it sounds like the biggest difference, like you say, you were going for a quality as opposed to quantity and you're able to offer choices in terms of customization and just a more sturdy built fence by building them in house as opposed to outsourcing them like right. from from these other states like you you had tried to get product from before 
That's that correct. About, was that about right? Yeah. Yeah, we tried not to third leg any more gates because we wouldn't get anywhere in the real world. And it's uh, it's not another gate manufacturing facility in the state of Virginia. Mm-hmm. So I thought maybe that was a good opportunity. So you've heard us make mention of IdeaFest and may be wondering what that is all about. IdeaFest is an annual competition held right here in Danville, Virginia, where entrepreneurs from across Virginia and North Carolina come together to pitch their business ideas for a chance to win $10,000 in prizes. Win, lose, or play it safe in the audience, IdeaFest is still a great way to involve yourself in the startup ecosystem in Danville and beyond. To pitch a business idea or snag a seat in the audience, visit www.ideafestdanville.com and like us on Facebook for more information. How have you kind of been going about attracting business and, and attracting clients for your for your different gates and fences? Luckily, the the fence building business has been pretty successful, um, not only in Pennsylvania County but in surrounding counties. I think Will and um, the Rawhide crew have built fence in nine counties in two different states. So, in terms of the customer basis, we originally kind of fed off of those individuals that already knew the name and knew us and um, knew the quality of fence, but maybe wanted a better gate. Um, so a lot of those have actually come back to us and had, a, had us um, replace gates on the farm that maybe we originally hung through um, some big loads that we had brought in. So that was our original customer base, but then we've also had several that needed something specific um, come to you and say, hey, we heard that um, you can build us a custom gate. I can't find one that fits this hole. I can't, you know, can't really find anything that's tall enough or wide enough. You think you can help? And sure enough, that's been um, that's been a blessing to the business as well because of our ability to customize gates. So you really create helped create your own niche by already having that pipeline of customers through the other business that you took time to establish, and then now that you put that legwork in you're able to capitalize that on absolutely both businesses really do work hand in hand and kind of help and benefit the other because we've had gate customers that then turn around and want fence built as well so they really do work hand in hand and function like sister companies very cool very cool um as far as machinery as far as equipment what types is is it most is it mostly welding what's the I guess predominant skill set that you guys that is that are you guys are using out here. Common sense. <laughs> Thinking caps. Thinking caps are required when you come in. The you got bar. two things to work for me: a pocket knife and a thinking cap. And I think that's mainly because we we both. I don't want to say we're both natural-born leaders, but we both are teachers at heart. So when it comes to that, we can teach somebody to use the metal-cutting bandsaw in a safe manner um, that is production and quality-oriented. And if they're willing to come in and ready to work and want to work, you can teach somebody most almost anything. But they got to have that want. they got to have that drive. Um, they got to have their thinking cap on and have a little common sense. If you got your mind made up that you don't want to be here, you just want to earn a paycheck. And there's nothing. We're not going to get to the next level. Very good. Well, yeah, I mean that's. I think that's important, especially in this area where there are people who who want to work and they, like you say, if if, if they're if they're eager and they're willing to learn something, then there are folks out there who will provide on-the-job training and allow you to acquire a skill set like that. Yeah, I've melted through a few of them. <laughs> 
And a lot, I mean, as the assistant principal at the Pennsylvania Career and Technical Center, we have a welding program. And our seniors come right out with multiple job skills necessary to walk right in here and be highly successful if they want to work. Um, so in terms of the, the actual skilled part that we desire, it's here. It's in the community. It's just a matter of, of kind of locating those people. But also it's a matter of us being ready um, to take on more individuals in terms of employees too. What has been, what's been the greatest challenge? Has, has it been, well, I, I won't suggest anything. What, what, what has been the biggest hurdle that you guys have, had, have faced going through this? Through both this business and, and previous businesses? Uh, it's about 90 hours a week. So that's probably a big challenge. It grows, you know, for me, I don't guess the rest of the guys quite i mean they everybody here works 50 and 55 hours a week uh they're probably happy they get a snow day but uh i don't know focus maybe of the crew sometimes gets a little sidetracked and i feel like probably that's probably more on me uh but the market opportunities there the people willing to work with you on the finances is there uh Finding, finding, going through the employees and keeping them focused mm-hmm. is the hardest part. Definitely so, the people factor. Yeah, the people factor. I didn't know I signed up to be a babysitter, but some days that's what I have to be. If you enjoy hearing local entrepreneur stories, tune in to our next episode featuring Ben Davenport, who was recently named as one of Virginia's 50 most influential business people. Hear Ben talk about running multiple companies and the importance of having a good team. do you guys define entrepreneurship or how, how do you define an entrepreneur? You know, we talk about stuff like that all the time and we, um, we're both, I guess, nerds in the aspect that we're constantly reading articles and, and researching other businesses and other entrepreneurs. And I think the, the definition for entrepreneurship or entrepreneur is it's different for everybody. And in our scenario, it's more of, Realizing there's a problem, understanding that you have a solution, but then being willing to take the risk to step in and solve that problem. Um, And that may not necessarily be the same definition for everybody, but for us, we saw a very definite problem and issue. We knew that we could solve the problem and um, probably do it in a a pretty successful manner, but then... um, Taking that risk was probably the hardest part. Actually stepping out and being willing to to be different and do what nobody else anywhere close to us is doing. Agriculture itself is so diverse. Um, When you are talking about entrepreneurship within agriculture, um, you can be an entrepreneur and own 10 head of beef cattle and have a business plan with those 10 head and then expand that the following year to 15 if you kept a couple or use the money that you sold from calves to to purchase more. Um, And I think that's often a misconception is people don't realize that a lot of people within the farming community are true entrepreneurs. Um, You know, you look around to a lot of local vineyards and um, those are agriculturally related entrepreneurs and we see a lot of those popping up and... um, all too often, it kind of goes back to that business plan element. Um, 
you don't associate something in agriculture, usually not with livestock or some type of production with needing a business plan. And it's absolutely vital with, with what you do in terms of your goals, your plans, um, and what you need. So I think in this area, you're probably not going to find a lot of people within agriculture that have, um, an, you know, that think that they are an entrepreneur, even though they are. They're not going to wear that label and boast on it, but they very much are. Will is actually the leader um, of our county young farmers through Farm Bureau, and that's one thing that he stresses on a regular basis with that young farmer group is that, you know, they have to have a business mindset. They have to have, um, we've encouraged many of them to go through the same business plan writing um, workshops that we have been through, and many of them have, and we hope that that has been successful for them as well. We talk a lot about the entrepreneurial ecosystem in this community and whether we have one or not or whether it is what it should be or not. Could you speak to maybe some of the resources that you guys have been able to tap into um, and I guess some, some ways that it has helped and maybe some things that you wish were around or would have been around? I guess that kind of goes back to the beginning when you asked one of the harder parts. Maybe I forgot to put it all together. I wanted to build gates. I wanted to add it to the fence building business. I wasn't a welder. I never welded till 10 months ago. I'm still not a welder, but I love it. But creating a business plan, like it was almost a bear to figure out who could help me. I didn't want to go ask for a quarter of a million dollars or $50,000 until I had a real good plan. Right, right. Sure. And I wouldn't shoot. And I reached out to several different people, and Freddie was kind of always, I always go back to him. We struck out. Who's next on your list? We struck out. So finding somebody maybe locally or, or from from here to where, you know, from here to Roanoke or whatever that would be willing to create, help create business plans for whatever aspect anybody wants. And I finally got, got fixed up, Matt Lohr and the crew at Farm Credit. You know, in, in a nutshell, they do that so – in theory, you come back and you do your, your lending and your your LOCs and your alternate right. line of credits with those guys. Right, right. But for a man that's not doing business with Farm Credit, where does he get a business plan at? Or how does he start that ball rolling? Gotcha. So you happen to stumble upon somebody kind of within the industry. Right. But it, it was just that. You kind of stumbled into well, it. Well, and that was the looking. biggest fear of, of other people, you know, people on the outside of agriculture and outside of um, you know, metal fabrication, there was a real fear in terms of the, the overall concept. And, and I think that comes from just not knowing and not being familiar with it. But um, a lot of the ones that we had approached originally about helping us even write a business plan, because they weren't familiar with agriculture and they weren't familiar with welding and fabrication, they were very, very hesitant. And even in many ways, completely threw up red flags um, in regard to even helping us get started with the research element of it. Think about the young farmer crews just, let's think about just in Pennsylvania County. You got dairies that are increasing by a third and two thirds the size of their head count and milk production on a daily basis. You got beef cattle guys that's taking on different uh, contracts with the tobacco farming. Uh, with some of the all-natural dark fire tobacco, I've got young farmers that uh, that are feeding cattle, stocker cattle, that are grading cattle, that are feeding registered bulls. Uh, 
Ben's increasing his tobacco production. I got some of my young farmers, I would put them against any other young farmers in the state of Virginia far as it's two or three dozen of them in the county that the entrepreneurial mindset might not be what they think of it is, but they absolutely are doing their part. They've been fortunate to have you to take time with them and, and really show them. And like you say, you really get to do and do have hands on. Did you have similar figures like that when you were younger that helped show you the ropes and show you everything that, or a lot of the things that got you interested in what you're doing now? Oh, my grandparents probably, you know, I spent a lot of time down at home farm, but uh, there weren't a lot of the I same learned the hard way, as, right? As the, that there are now. I've so. learned a lot the hard way, and it's a lot of stuff in here that's that's in here in the floor. There's a, about nineteen hundred dollars of metal banded up right there that I learned the hard way buying metal. So <laughs> it's all. Yeah, my, I, I read a book just the other day, and it was talking about how it's all different forms of tuition. Right. Mm -hmm. when, when you're learning, there's a cost. There's always going to be a cost of some sort associated with it. So we'll just call that tuition. Right. <laughs> I will say, in terms of mentorship, though, we have had several. Um, successful business members within the community, agriculture and non-agriculture, that have really been a huge benefit to us just in terms of providing encouragement from day to day, um, guidance on specific issues, or, I mean, we've he's got a whole list of probably three or four that he can call at any point in time that will provide genuine, honest advice that's greatly appreciated. One of them is probably getting ready to help us take the next step. So mm -hmm. uh, we probably in the next 10 to 12 weeks, we're graduating to about a 12,000 square foot facility. Oh, congratulations. So, so in eight months, we have outgrown, really in less than eight months, we realized that the current shop that we're in was way, way too small. When originally we were like, yeah, this would be a great place to start. Nice and small, we'll set our feet, get everything nice and planted. and get our roots put down in the ground and then we realized really quickly that we're on top thing, of each other yeah and this <laughs> and thing is going to be bigger than we are <laughs> when you were talking about a business plan you were talking about um for need of financing have you guys had to seek financing or have you self-funded or have you basically been going just like through traditional through just like banks or traditional means of of getting loans or what have you guys how are you all expanding i guess right the we have two lines of credit, LOC alternating in an annual line of credit with farm credit, and that was the uh, that was the shot in the butt, I guess, to get us in the in the game. Give you a little working capital, right? Mm -hmm. And then yeah. then uh, we've went back and got a little more since then. Probably in the fall, maybe I think we mm -hmm. got another hit trying to keep going because what's happened is. Maybe I don't have all day for all this, but anyway. It, I'm curious. <laughs> so what's happened is John told me in the beginning, don't create inventory mm -hmm. because inventory is not paying your bills. Right, get it. Get sorry. it gone. So we hadn't created an inventory per se, but so now you see we have $6,000 worth of raw steel right here. Mm -hmm. We have probably $1,200 worth of stuff here finished that will probably make it – make that pile $6,000 by the end of the week. There's $6,000 sitting at the galvanized plant in Chapel Hill, North Carolina to be picked up to be put on jobs, and there's $6,000 worth at my house. I don't know if that's the exact number. It may be 10000 But what I'm saying is I've got five piles of $6,000 or $10,000 laying around. So I haven't created an inventory, but I have created an inventory. 
So trying to figure out the balance. So if you know you got fifty thousand dollars, let's say of product, raw product, finished product, dip product, product to be put in the field, it ties up a lot of cash flow. Now all of a sudden, let's say we got we got a calf barn, Angus Show Barn, are doing Winchester, Virginia. It's about twenty-two, three thousand dollar project. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got fifty thousand of my money tied up in what's all going on here. Now I need this money to float right. this project, right. but now the other crew needs twelve thousand dollars for fencing material. Right. But so you know, you don't create inventory, but sometimes it's it's almost as of lately. I'll say this: the business has outgrown the cash flow to some degree. Right. We haven't had a hard time obtaining finances, working with lenders, figuring out a payment schedule that works. And we haven't had a hard time getting business either, getting right. a demand for the product. That wasn't a major issue, but it's that in-between. It's the dance. It's the timing right. of, yeah. of having right. the inventory. And this weather makes it great cash. for yeah. being in the field putting in gates. <laughs> so <laughs> the, first, the first project, I'll say, the first project was probably like thirty-five or $3,600. But now the projects, the scope of the projects is in the mid twenty range, mm-hmm. so you can you can float thirty five hundred dollar projects and you can keep the ball rolling, but when you get those thirty five hundred dollar projects, you get three or four of them stacked in on top of each other, right. and you get weather's an element, or you get a man not on the he's not on the team today, or he's not wanting to play ball right. today, and then you get a project coming down the pipeline that is three times or four times what you've been used to mm-hmm. trying to turn, yeah, all your little ducks get tied up. Right. <laughs> I have one more quick question. So we're doing, um, we're like integrating some promotion for this year's Idea Fest. So um, for you guys, you would have just gotten back from Arkansas when you were getting ready to take mm-hmm. the stage to Idea Fest. So what was that like for you guys, and what would you say to other people who might be considering um, competing? I think the biggest thing we learned and the, the greatest thing we took away from Idea Fest last year was how to sell our business in two minutes. Um, You know, your elevator speech is, we didn't realize how vital it was and how much we would use it. And I can't tell you how many times we have used a lot of that same material or even, you know, that time frame, that two minutes. At first, it was a huge challenge because the two of us could talk for days and days and days and never get tired and be perfectly fine with that. But when you're given a two minute time frame, it really puts you on the spot in terms of what you do and why you do it and why you're better than others. And so the greatest thing we took away from that Idea Fest experience was really selling your product and explaining your product in that two minute time period. Well, guys, I really appreciate your time. That's, um, is there any, any part about your story that um, you feel like you didn't really get to tell based on the questions or anything you feel like the listeners might benefit from hearing just about you all in, in particular or your business or anything that was left out? I think the one thing that we're asked all the time is, well, do you think you're successful or um, are you successful? Have you reached your goal? And I would definitely say that the definition for success um, is going to be different for everybody, but it's definitely not what's in your checkbook because if that were the definition, then the answer would be no. Um, but we do feel like we are successful in the fact that the people that currently have the gates that have been built in this shop are not only satisfied, but they want more and they're impressed and they're telling other people and we're fixing their problems with our solutions. Mm-hmm.
Thanks for joining us for another great show. Remember, everybody, the deadline for the third IDFS business pitch competition has been extended another week to March 21st. Visit www.idfsdanville.com to find your application and learn the competition guidelines.